Jesus, we want to thank you very much for your Holy Spirit. And we ask you to fill us with your spirit and bless the teaching of your word tonight. Lord, I thank you for uh, being part of a church like Calvary Aurora, where we, we value the teaching of your word and we value what your word says. And, and uh, uh, Lord, there are many other churches that do as well. And we pray for all the churches in the city. And we pray that your word would be the lamp to their feet and, and what guides them and what gives them direction, Lord, would be your word. And we pray, Lord, for our own lives, Lord, that we would be faithful to let your word speak to us. Lord God, you have a a very clear message you have for us tonight. And maybe it's different for someone. Maybe they're going to get encouraged and someone else is going to get convicted. But the wonderful thing about your Holy Spirit is that you know exactly what I need tonight. You have a, a perfect thing for me tonight. And for each one of us, you have the very perfect thing that we need because you know us. You know us more and better than we even know ourselves. And so, Lord, we want to be open to what you have for us tonight. And whether that's something new or a reminder of something we've known in the past but maybe have not been as passionate about, Lord Jesus, we want you to be in control. And, Lord, we we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and according to your will. Amen. Amen. I like that. Amen. Thanks. (laughs) Well, we're talking about Galatians chapter five. And uh, last week we looked at verses uh, 19 through 21. And we those were a description of what the efforts of the flesh look like. That's what happens when we try out of our own humanity, our own efforts, our own uh, what's inside of us. That's what happens naturally. And so uh, we looked at that last week, and tonight we're going to look at what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Not the efforts of the flesh, not what happens when we try, but what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And uh, if I were to also put another title on this one, I would put it, I would title it, A Garden or a Factory. A Garden or a Factory. So we'll look at why I say that here in a minute. But let's go ahead and look at Galatians chapter 5. And let's actually back up all the way to verse 16 so we get the context of what Paul's talking about. We've been in Galatians and the whole book is about waging war on legalism. uh, Us learning to be spiritual people and really spiritual people and not just faking it through trying to follow the rules. That's what legalism is. It's faking it. It's being pretender. It's being a, a poser, if I could steal a word from the youths of today. <laughs> it's not being the real deal. And what Paul is saying is we need to be the real deal, a really genuinely good person. And that only comes through grace, through walking with Jesus. That only comes from God. So that's been the general uh, Point And what we've been on right now is, is walking in the spirit. How does that happen? How do we be this good person? How do we not be a fake person and be a good person? Verse 16, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusting in the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So the law, the rules, those those Ten Commandments, all those ways that we can tell whether we're we're doing the right thing or not doing the right thing. 
We get a freedom from that when we're walking in the Spirit. We know that we're doing the right thing when we're walking in the Spirit. We will naturally do what God wants to do when we walk in the Spirit. But if we decide, hey, I think I'm going to walk in my flesh for a little while. I think I'm going to try in my own efforts to please God. I think I have it in me. Then these verses are what happens. So the works, the works, the works, the efforts, the things that happen when we put our work into our life, when we try to find or try to do it on our own, in our own resources with what we have, the works of the flesh are evident. It's going to come out. It's going to be clear, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries and the like, which means I didn't list everything, but anything else that is bad, that comes from our flesh. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's where we ended last week, where we looked at every, every single one of those, and we looked at how they can come into our life and be so sneaky where we think that this is a good idea to have uh, to, to move forward with this. And this is, this is what my flesh desires. But we, we saw and we studied how the Spirit of God, to be a st- truly spiritual person, the Spirit of God never leads us to any of these things. It never leads us to selfish ambitions. It never leads us to fornication. It never leads us to any of these things. But the Spirit of God does do something great, all right? And that's where we get to tonight. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, joy, is love, <laughs> joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul now says he wants us to bear spiritual fruit, not just coast through life. Once we come to know Jesus, once you enter into that relationship with Jesus where you understand that he died on the cross for your sins and you're born again, then your whole life you've been forgiven of your sins. So it's like, what do you do now? Well, it's definitely not designed for us to just coast through life from that point forward. It's to bear fruit is the purpose, not to just be comfortable. And it's also not to just have spiritual gifts, but to have spiritual fruit. Fruit is better than gifts. We all know people that are very gifted, but many of them don't have uh, the character to back up that gifting. Many people we know can really speak in front of people, or they're just very talented in their art or something like that, but their character doesn't back it up. And those, uh, that's why the character uh, is more important than the gifting. Even 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that great uh, uh, chapter about love, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, 
I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Let's try that again. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Ah, you guys are there with me. Thank you. Good job. (laughs) So if I don't have that love, even though I could understand all mysteries, knowledge, I have faith, and very gifted spiritually, if that fruit, if that character of Christ is not in my life, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. So even if I do good things, if it's not motivated or coming from the love of God, it profits me nothing. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. And it's not something we can manufacture ourselves. What can we do? Last week, we saw what we could manufacture ourselves. That list that I went back and read just a second ago of all the bad things that our flesh produces, that's what we can manufacture. That's the things that come out of our factory. But his spiritual character being developed over a long period of time is what fruit is. You can be given gift a gift in a moment. And some of you, when you got saved, you were given gifts right then. The Lord gave you spiritual gifts. And that's great. But the, the spiritual character that, that follows that can take a long period of time to, de- to develop. And we're going to contrast these two by a factory and a garden. It's not even hard for us to produce the, the, the works of the flesh. It's the natural exports of the factories of our life. Have you ever, what, do you come, what comes to mind when you think of a factory? I think of noisy, smoky, ugly, dirty, grinding, trying, friction, producing, greasy Pittsburgh. <laughs> like, that's what I, that's the picture of a factory is Pittsburgh and the Steelers. Ugh. Just dirty people. No offense, Steeler fans. But yes, I mean, they just, you picture a coal miner or just factories, they're just dirty. And, they, and it's all efforts and it's all banging and it's all efforts. And that's what the works of the flesh are like. As opposed to a garden. You know, you guys ever seen The Secret Garden, that movie? My mom made me watch that when I was a kid. I didn't know better. I thought it was cool. But it was like a secret, you know. So I was always trying to do a secret garden in my grandma's backyard because we used to plant things back then. But the problem with my grandma's backyard is it was too darn slow. It took so long for these darn plants to grow. And that's the problem with gardens. But that's also the beauty of gardens, isn't it? And you can tell someone who's a really good gardener because what? They are patient. They're like planting these seeds and then they stare at the dirt in satisfaction. And they pour some water on it and they just wait there. And then they go to sleep and go out to dinner and go to Hawaii and they come back and there's a little plant and they're so happy. And they, they give it a little bit more water and it's not like a factory at all. 
They don't take a hammer out there and start beating the dirt. Grow, you plant. That's not how gardens work. And spiritual fruit must come from the work of God. Any other way and you become a factory. God is not just looking for human goodness. Some sinners are nicer than others. Do you guys know that? Some people are just nice, even though they're totally sinners. Even though they don't know God, they're, they're nice. But the problem is that niceness is not the fruit of the Spirit. And I had, uh, again, last week I had lunch with this Buddhist guy who another friend had bought, and he, he had questions for me. He, he wanted to talk to me about Christianity, and he was a Buddhist. And, and um, his, his hang-up was he's like, well, I'm trying to be a good person. That's all I want is to be a good person. So are you telling me being a good person is not what God wants? And I said, no, that's not what God wants. God is not looking for your goodness. Your goodness is like filthy rags to God. And that's offensive to him. He was super offended. He's like, what are you talking about? Good is good no matter where the good comes from. And I said, no. This good only counts if it's sourced from the spirit of good. But the Spirit of God, and God is good, right? God's the source of everything that's good. See, what he didn't understand is that his religion was, him, was a factory trying to produce lookalikes of true fruit. And his apples were metal or rusted or some mess. You ever tried to bite into a wax piece of apple? Like those ones that are on the table at your grandma's house? Maybe you have those, Jolene. I don't know. But my grandma, Fitzgerald, had these over in her house in Littleton, right by that park over there. And it was a pink house. It's bizarre. I've never seen it. Anyway, so she had, you know, the plastic on her couches, right? And on the table, and I wasn't allowed to touch anything in this house. In fact, she had a skateboard, which I was like, yay, because I was a kid. And she's like, that's not a toy. And my stepdad was like, Yes, it is a toy. She's like, I use it to take my trash can down the driveway. And I was like, so I can't play on your skateboard? Because anyway, anyway, my grandma had plastic fruit. Wow, that does not taste very good if you try to take a bite of it. And the point of all this is that fruit that we manufacture is never like fruit that's grown in a garden, is it? And fruit that's grown in a garden is exactly what God is wanting to produce in our life. Some churches are religious factories of human efforts. And I pray that we are guarded against that. I pray that you never hear here, you guys just got to try harder. I hope that's never heard. I hope in our Bible studies and in our women's Bible studies and in our men's Bible studies and with all our leaders that we disciple, it is never heard, look within yourself. And you'll find a way. Or just be a good person. God wants you just to be good. I hope that's never found. I hope what we always do is what we're going to see here. Um, so now we're going to start looking at some verses. Psalm chapter 1 verse 3 is a perfect verse that illustrates this. He says, um, who, he who meditates in the word, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. This is Psalm 1 verse 3 who brings forth its fruit in its season, 
whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. You see, that tree is going to be productive. Why? Because of what's in the water. The tree was planted by the water. It's an external source that produces life in that tree. This is a great picture of God working in and through our lives to produce fruit. See, I've been talking a lot through this sermon about works and works and works and good works. And and so I, I know the question has popped up. Okay, so how do I do the good works? If you're telling me to stop trying, stop trying, stop trying, what is the thing I'm supposed to do then? And my answer to you is fruit. Bear fruit. Bear some fruit. There's a really good rap song about the book of Galatians. <laughs> and it's awesome. And the hook line is bear some fruit, bear some fruit. It's awesome, huh? My wife loves it. And we listen to it in the car and bounce. But <laughs> Psalm 92, verse 13 and 14. Psalm 92, verses 13 and 14. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of the Lord. They shall still bear fruit in old age and they shall be fresh and flourishing. What a great description of old people. This is the opposite of a lot of old people that I know who are bitter and old and lame. The Bible does not want us to be bitter and old and fruitless or lame. The Bible wants us to be fruitful even in our old age. Fresh and flourishing. I love those words. That's where I want to be is fresh and flourishing even in my old age to be fresh. That's, that's so glorious. And it's those who are planted in the house of the Lord. So the previous verse talked about meditating in the word of God. Here he says, planted in the house of the Lord. Are you getting the point? Get in your Bible and get to church. And God will work in your life to produce fruit. This reminds me of my dad. My dad's old. Ha. (laughs) He listens to these Bible studies, so he's going to get a good laugh of this. My dad is older than me, which makes sense. But he is an amazing example of someone who has been renewed day by day in his life and his life is so fruitful. Everyone who knows my dad is like blown away at the work and the fruit of Jesus because he has these big old drippy fruits hanging off his branches. They're just like mouth-watering fruits, not only to us, but to God himself. I know it. And it's, it's results of his time because he's told me for years he's been getting up at 4 a.m., and he spends hours in the word. And the, the result of that is fruit. There's fruit that happens when you plant your tree by the water or planted in the house of the Lord, flourishing in the courts of the Lord. I love it. You guys all know John fifteen five. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The key to fruit is the vine. It's not about us. It's about him. And that's what makes it all equal. And that's what makes Christianity work. And that's what makes us better than anything else in the world. Is because it doesn't matter how cool you are or how lame you are. Everyone has equal access to Jesus. And so everyone has equal access to be fruity people. These fruity 
bearing fruit full of love people. It's all equal. You can do it. It works for you just the same as it works for you. And it works for the smart as well as it works for the dumb. It works for everybody. It works because Jesus never fails. He works. That's what makes it awesome. So have you ever seen a branch grow after you cut it down? I'm, I was so angry at my boys two days ago because I love my trees in my backyard. I don't have very many and they're scrawny and lame, but I love them. They're my trees. I own them. And my kids hang on them and break the branches off. And so actually it's kind of cool because now their branches are too high for them to hang on. So I have like nice looking trees because all the bottoms are just empty and the, and the tops. But every time they break one, I'm like, no, because that branch falls to the ground. And if I were to bring it in and set it on the table, it wouldn't live. It would die. It would get dry and it would it would die because branches cannot live apart from the vine or the source, the trunk where that sap, the life flows through. It's funny because in churches today you hear you need to be all the branch you can be. It's branches telling other branches to be great branches. And that's not what our churches are for. Our churches are to say, get connected with the vine. Abide in me. And if you do that, you bear a little fruit. No, bear much fruit. That's the life I want, that abundant life. And then verse 8 in John 15 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. What a futile effort to expect growth when you are not abiding in Jesus. When we bring dependent, uh, if you bring dependent, uh, if you are being dependent on Christ for spiritual fruit as a branch, it's, it's like uh, abiding in the vine for each and every grape. So we have this dependent relationship on Jesus. And we can't expect to grow apart from that, is what he says clearly. It's all about your relationship with him and his life flowing through yours. You cannot be pursuing a deep connection with Jesus and not have fruit in your life. And the same thing, the opposite is also true. Fruitlessness, I just made up a word, write it down. Fruitlessness is a clear sign of a lack of dependence in your life with Jesus. There is some kind of disconnect. You are trying to be an awesome branch. Ah, there's a really great example. Bearing this fruit is never about trying. And the best example is, have you ever just driven through Florida and seen all those orange trees? You know, and the big old fat oranges on them. And then you've ever seen one of those trees that's just trying really hard. That doesn't happen. No matter how hard you try, it's never going to produce the fruit. But all of the other trees are just hanging out and they're looking at this tree, Wilbur, and they're like, Wilbur, what are you doing? Why are you trying so hard? That's like our church. We can be the trees that are bearing fruit by naturally hanging out with Jesus and just telling people, guys, just come to Bible study. Just come and worship the Lord. Just come and give your life to the Lord 
trust him more, abide in him, and you'll see the fruit that you're looking for, those, those efforts, that factory happening, the banging and the, oh, I've got to try harder. It doesn't work. Romans chapter 7, verse 4 is another amazing verse that gives us clarity about this. He says, therefore, my brethren... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Bear fruit to God means God is, it's for God that we bear this fruit. It pleases him. It makes him happy. That's the thing that he wants out of our life is fruit, fruit to be produced in your life. Philippians chapter 1 is another great verse that has to do with this. Or Philippians chapter 1, verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So it, it gives God glory. It gives God praise. Not like the Buddhist guy. Who gets the praise when he does something good? Himself. His efforts as opposed to God getting the glory. But when we produce the fruits of righteousness, it gives glory to God. And how do we produce them? By Jesus Christ. How do we do it? By Jesus Christ. His presence, his activity in our lives produces this fruit. He is fully able to produce the fruit. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. says, But now... Having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of God. You, and you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting, everlasting life. This is not just, or this, is, uh, this fruit in our life is another way to describe personal, practical, real holiness in our lives. You know, everyone said Christians should act like a Christian. Okay, that's what this is. What you're really saying is a Christian should, should produce fruit. Not a Christian should act like a Christian. Because that I could get in my mind, oh, so i gotta, I got to change something. And that's not what, what we're going for. We're going for fruit. You abide, you get fruit. We're not, and it says here, we're not just forgiven. We've been set free from sin, and, but we become slaves of God to have fruit in our life. So we've not just we've not just been forgiven, we are now a saint that lives a holy life through God. This is a great quote. All these things that we read about love, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, these are not just a list of things to work on day by day. We can desire them, but we can't produce them. I want to contrast a little bit. Before we read about adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, those are all counterfeits of love among people. Counterfeits of love. So we read them last week. We, adultery, fornication. Anytime anyone's involved into adultery and they say, but I just love that person, they're lying. That's not true. It is not love. It's not godly love. Anytime there's fornication, anytime there's uncleanness or lewdness, they are all counterfeits of real love. Idolatry and sorcery are counterfeits of love for God. Idol, uh, idolatry is a counterfeit for loving the true God. And sorcery, having some sort of uh, engagement with magic or, or with drugs to get you on a spiritual plane, is also 
a counterfeit of love for God. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, and outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresies, and envy, and murders are all counterfeits of love with other people. They're all the opposites of love. can't murder someone and love them. It's kind of the opposite. And then drunkenness and revelries are all sad attempts to fill the void that only love can fill. Isn't it sad when you know someone that just parties every night and they wake up hungover every day and they're like, wasn't that awesome? And you know and they know that they're really trying to fill that void of love in their life. And what they really need is love. But it says here, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the love that flows from the very heart of God. It's, and it, it's not like God was looked at you and said, what a lovable guy. I just have to love him because he's so lovable. You are lovable. But <laughs> it's not what God was thinking. God is just loving. It has nothing to do with how much we deserved it. His character is truly love, and he loved us in our sinful states. Just as Romans chapter 5 Verse 6 through 8 says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Do you? But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the price paid demonstrates the great love of the Father, not necessarily the great worth of us. And the price he paid was a lot to show his love because he has a lot of love to show. It's not how valuable we are. It's not how worthy am I. It's how loving is he. That's what this is all about. It's the difference between legalism and walking in grace. It's not I am worthy of this. It's you are loving. And so let your love complete me. Let your love fill me. Let your love take care of all the things I'm lacking. Let your love do it. And it's called agape love. You guys know it's called agape. It's the Greek word. Uh, is available for us to love others in that same way. Once you know Jesus, that love that loved you while you were still a sinner is available for you to love others. Romans 5.5 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God, that agape love, has been poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He just pours it out into our hearts. This heavenly resource brings a new life and ability to truly love others the way Christ loved us. This is the fruit of the Spirit that flows out of us. You know, it's funny because seminary seems, a lot of seminaries seem to just want to give you tools that give you a false sense of ability in ministry. And they say, if you take this class and if you learn these things and you have an ability to minister to others, they're producing little factory workers. And they're going throughout the world with their little factories in their systems instead of teaching people how to wait on the Lord and be desperate for His Holy Spirit and dependent upon His Spirit to work love in their life. And those are... That's serious things. You can try all these tools and ideas and plans, but they will all fail without the love of God. And we go back then to 1 Corinthians 13 that we read. You can be anything. You can have spiritual gifts or whatever, but you don't, don't have love. It doesn't mean anything. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Verse 1 and 2, these are great verses having to do with the love. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And this is the thing, guys, this love that we're told to put on, this love we're told to walk in, cannot be a copycat or manufactured in our life. You can't fake it. That's what legalism is. And he's telling us here, we can't fake it. Well, where do we get it? 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. Great. For love is of God. From God, proceeding from God, God is love. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You guys ever seen that movie, The Mission? It was like Robert De Niro, like when he was a young man. It was about this Catholic uh, priest who kind of started to walk by grace. He kind of left the church and was doing his own thing. And he was still kind of part. It was back a long time ago, and it was in South America, hundred, a couple hundred years ago or something. And uh, and the Catholic Church was like invading the whole South America and like kind of conquering it, kind of. And this guy like started a mission way off in the jungle with these people. And the Catholic Church was going to come in and said, "You are going to be obedient to what we say." And he's like, "I'm going to teach the Word of God." I'm paraphrasing a little, okay. <laughs> But he's like, I'm going to teach the word of God. I'm going, to, I'm going to teach these people. I'm going to love these people. And these people are important to God and they're important to me. And the Catholic Church was not happy about that. And they brought an army in. And Robert De Niro is talking with his like, priestly friend. These two priests talking. And they're arguing. They're yelling at each other because he was not going to fight. Robert De Niro is like, I'm not going to fight. If they want to come do what they can do, I'm not going to fight because I love my people and I love them. So I'm not going to fight. And, and they got into this big argument, and the, the pinnacle, the apex of this argument was Robert De Niro's character yelling, God is love. And I loved that. It was, it was impactful for me watching it. Um, and I, I really loved that scene. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, and God is the source of that love. All these other aspects that we're going to look at right now, all these other things, they are aspects of love. And there's some really neat uh, grammatical ways you can look at it. Because it says here, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love. And then it has all these other descriptions, these other aspects of what love, this love, looks like. And so this is what it looks like when you're loving or filled with the Spirit or a Christian. This is what it's supposed to look like. So joy, one of the greatest marketing strategies ever employed to the position of uh, the kingdom of Satan uh, was to place, uh, is to call the kingdom of God or Christianity uh, a place that has no fun, a place of gloom and misery. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy. That's inner spiritual happiness. And the thing is, it's non-circumstantial. Always and this joy is always available no matter what is happening around us because it's from the Spirit. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. 
This is the joy of the Lord. We can have this if we focus on the Lord. In the mess, when our world is going crazy all around us, when we look upon God, you can have joy. It's a fruit that happens. It's not, it's not something you look internally to find. It's, it happens. First Peter 1.8 Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So this joy, sometimes we won't even have words to express how wonderful God is, right? Sometimes it's just like, oh, it's just, oh, it's, oh. And you have that conversation and you're like, right on, man. You know exactly what they're talking about. I think sometimes maybe that's why he gives the gift of tongues to some people, because they just need that outlet to be able to express their joy to to the Lord. If they don't, they may explode with all this going inside them. Nehemiah 8.10, we learned uh, just a couple weeks ago from Pastor Ed that the joy of the Lord is your strength. John 15.11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that you may your joy may be full. The Bible says you have an opportunity to be full of joy. You do. Let him bear this fruit in your life. But the thing is, it's not found inside you. Joy can't be found. It can only be grown. It's a fruit that can be grown. And here's the thing. That's why depression is such a serious issue. The world has their ways that they think you should deal with depression. And they have their their ways what they think causes depression. And even within Christianity, these circles, there's all all this discussion about depression. I got on the internet and I said, "What, what does the world think? How do we fix our depression? And here's the most three most common ways the world says. Number one, focus on your health and fitness. That'll help your depression, okay? So in other words, work out your flesh really hard. Let your flesh work really hard. Now, will that have positive impacts on how you feel? Yeah. If you exercise, it will help. But the joy, the internal source of joy, exercise doesn't help. Working out your flesh doesn't give you joy. The second is use therapy and medication. So in other words, instead not work hard your flesh, but try to change your flesh. Try to change your flesh or think about it or numb it. Feel around and push around in it with therapy or just try to numb it. But what are they attacking? What are they working on? Flesh. They're working on your natural human humanity, not your spirit, which is the source of joy. The third one is Try uncommon treatments such as shock therapy or strange herbs. So treat your flesh, treat your flesh weirdly. It's not. That's where Jesus says, just kill your flesh. Just kill your flesh. Your flesh is all evil and needs to die. Your flesh needs to die. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute. We're going to go a little bit deeper in that. Second, the third one here is peace. The peace is the peace of God. Peace with people. It's, it's, it's a positive peace filled with blessing and goodness, not simply the absence of fighting. So it's not just we're at peace with one another. Um, I like this quote. Safety consists not of the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. You guys all know this verse. I'm sure you all have it memorized. But chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. 
uh, a verse that you, we should all turn to in the middle of the night when we're stressed out, when we're having struggles and worries and doubts and anxiousness. Come to this verse. Memorize it. It's wonderful. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that to you in the New Living Translation just because I love getting a little different look at it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Some of you right now are in great trials, and I talk to you, and you say, I'm at peace. And the world looks at you and says, you're so weird. How can you have peace when your life looks like that? When you have this going on, how can that be? And the Bible says, it's a peace that passes understanding. So here's my admonition to you. Don't try to understand something that the Bible says is past understanding. Just let it be a piece of fruit that hangs on your branch. I have peace. Well, how? I don't know. Okay. Believe in Jesus like me and maybe you can have this fruit too. All right. The next one's long-suffering. It means you can have that love, joy, peace, even over a period of time when people and events annoy you. God is not quickly irritated with us, so we should not be quickly irritated with others. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Verse 13 is the key. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Kindness and goodness are the next two. These two words are closely connected. About the only difference is that goodness also has the idea of generosity. So not just being nice, but being nice and giving at the same time. Again, these are attributes that only come through the Spirit. And what if you're just naturally a nice person? If you live in the Spirit, you're going to find that natural niceness that you have just grow to a to just an, a really amazing level where you can really minister to people. Faithfulness. This is the idea that the Spirit of God works in us faithfulness both to God and to other people. Here's a good quote. It says, The ability to serve God faithfully through the years and through the temptations of life is not something we achieve by heroic virtue. It comes from the Spirit. You know, you see those people who been married 75 years and and they're like they've been faithful that whole time and and they say you know it's not by it's not because i'm a hero it's because god helped me by his spirit to be faithful and those are just very encouraging the next one is gentleness this word has an idea of being teachable not having a superior attitude or demanding one's own one's rights it isn't timidity or passiveness um But Barclay says it's the quality of a man who is always angry at the right time, but never angry at the wrong time. 
something to, good to learn. So this gentleness, Matthew eleven twenty nine says, take my yoke upon you uh, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. I'm going to give you one more quote on this one from Spurgeon. Gentleness is the kind of spirit that does not demand its proper respect. What is the proper respect that is due to poor creatures like ourselves? I believe it is that any one of us, I believe that if any one of us did get our proper respect, we should not like like it very long. We should think that um, bare justice was rather scant in its appreciation. We desire to be flattered and then we cry out for proper respect. Respect indeed. Why, if we had our desserts, we should be in the lowest hell. I like that one. And then Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even to death of a cross. The next one is self-control. Again, this is not self-discipline. It's a fruit of the Spirit to be in control of yourself at all times. It's, it's never spiraling out of control or on the roller coaster of emotions. It's a calm, steady life of dependence on Jesus. And again, this is really important. It's not self-managing. It's self under the control of the Holy Spirit. Self-control. You're not controlling yourself. You are a self that's under the control of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, against such things, all these things that we just talked about, there is no law. This is the will of God for our lives, and this is the living product, byproduct of living by the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with all that? Well, back in Galatians chapter 5, he says, so, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So what we do with all these things, with everything we've been taught in Galatians so far, and, and all the, the bad stuff that we just learned about, with the works of the flesh, what the efforts of the flesh look like, and then all this good stuff that happens when you, tr- when you walk with the Holy Spirit, what do we do with all that? We renounce the flesh. <clears throat> Those who are Christ, that means have that relationship with him, we say no to ourselves. It's a call to humble repentance. Luke chapter 9, I'll read it to you, verse 23. Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This was before Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus is saying, take up your cross. So what he's basically saying to them is, take up your electric chair, because that's how they killed people back then, was with, on a cross. And he says, so... If you want to follow me, take up your electric chair on your back and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. Romans 8.13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we say no to the deeds of the flesh. Again, Colossians 3.5, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. What members of yours are on the earth? 
All of these members. <laughs> all of them. He says, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. The flesh wants to be your source of power for daily living. Your flesh does. Right now, every single one of us, we have this battle raging where your flesh wants to be the source. And God offers himself as a source. And you decide. You do. No one can decide it for you. Doesn't matter how hard your life is or how much you hate your landlord or your boss or your dog. None of that matters. It is your decision. You decide where you want to draw your resources from. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I, my decision, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We studied that, right? But what gets in the way of this fruit of the Spirit, this love in our life and what we know we should be, what gets in the way is our flesh. Galatians 5.25, where we're at right now, verse 25, If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So you were saved by the Spirit, you live in the Spirit, so walk in the Spirit. The same way. John 6.63, such a wonderful verse. It says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Just reading that verse crucifies our flesh. Just reading it because your flesh is like, No! I am not worthless. But this verse says, the, the flesh profits nothing. And we read it and our flesh says, no, I can profit you something. I can do something good. I can do it. I can do it. Just give me a chance. Just don't read your Bible tomorrow morning and see how good you do. I can do good. But Jesus says, my word, that's the spirit and life. Your flesh will profit you nothing. But we need to crucify our flesh. And agreeing with, not only reading this would crucify our flesh, agreeing with it would hit the nails in agreeing with it and saying my flesh profits me nothing any time i spend in my life feeding my flesh is an unprofitable moment and then the verse 26 here let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another what's he talking about right there it seems kind of out of the out of left field pride 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 is the automatic quench for the Holy Spirit in your life. If you want your fruit to just shrivel up and die like that, <laughs> let your pride just rise up. Pride does that. First John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. When the pride of our life when we're proud of our life, look what I've accomplished, look what I can do. When that comes in, out of your life, the Holy Spirit says, see ya. Not, he doesn't leave us, but his work in our life and that fruit that you were wanting to see in your life, the resources just dry up. They just dry up. So we'll end with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that 
What purpose? This is the purpose. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is always a way to grow in godliness, and that way is to walk in the Spirit. My abilities only get in the way. My flesh, my resources, this verse here says, they are so weak that God had to come and die for what I brought to the table. That's what I brought to the table. There's a really great line in one of Derek Webb's songs that says, um, uh, bring, you bring the bread and wine. So I'll bring all my history and you bring the bread and wine. And we'll have us a party where all the drinks are on me. It's, it's uh, Jesus singing to us. And he says, you bring all your history. I'll bring the bread and wine. That new covenant. And we'll have a party. And all the drinks will be on me. He, he has this. It's all going to be about him and joy and loving him. And it's just a great, it was, it was a great line, the first song that always meant a lot to me. It makes me think about this. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord, we want to be people who are a garden for you and definitely not a factory, Lord. And Lord God, I pray that this would be spiritual reality in our lives. And Lord God, that you would help us to walk in your Spirit, according to your Spirit, looking to you for our resources, looking to you and our relationship with you and depending upon you, asking you to change us and produce this fruit of love in our lives. Lord, we need you more than we ever thought before. We need you and we know that you're going to be there for us. In your name we pray. Amen.